0: All right, so in the interest of your time, um, let's get at it, get after it. And we're on chapter 8 in the book, if you want to follow along. And we did talk a little bit about this this morning in the uh, John class as well. And uh, so maybe by way of introduction, actually, let's start with prayer, and then I'll give you an introduction. The Collect. Merciful Father, through holy baptism, you called us to be your own possession. Grant that our lives may evidence the working of your holy spirit in love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control according to the image of your only begotten son Jesus Christ our savior amen all right so you notice maybe in that collect I can use this to do the introduction in holy baptism you called us to be your own possession so the key there is and this is right with the scriptures that god is the subject of the sentence and that means, as, uh, as I said this morning, um, as I was taught from Dr. Nagel uh, from St. Louis Seminary, that, that God's running the verbs. And who's running the verbs is essential. That is really what was going on in the sermon. Uh, because uh, too often people think that they can make or break the church. And I was, I was being a little sloppy intentionally because you can make or break this congregation. You know, I mean don't take care of the congregation, let the building fall into decay and ruin, you know, don't put money in the plate, whatever, you know, or give your time, or whatever it is that the church needs, Um, it can bring about the ruin of a congregation, But that isn't the failure of the church. And that's very, I think that's an important distinction that I didn't necessarily make. I just wanted to push people's buttons a little bit and see where they go with that. Because in the other sense... As soon as we start talking about how we can make or break a congregation as soon as I should be more careful. As soon as we talk about how we can make, you know, bring about the failure of a congregation, then we start to take ownership of it and say it's our doing. And it's like, no, God makes this congregation, even if we, like, through our own neglect or effort, kill it. Right? It was His doing in the first place. All right? If the God, how does it say? If the Lord builds a house, if the Lord does not build a house, the laborers labor in vain. All right, so it's His building. Uh, that's why he gets the cornerstone. That's why Jesus is called the foundation, not you. Uh, you're laid upon him, not him upon you. So, yeah, I was being a little sloppy with that. But the reason is that, um, again, I just, I, I think we just don't want to give people an in to start taking credit for the work that the Holy Spirit actually has promised to do. Yeah. And, and even here, you see how he does it in the collect. Um, whoever wrote this collect, I'm not sure. That's a new comment for us, um, that in our life, that our lives may evidence the working of your Holy Spirit. Now, I mean there's a way that you could understand that actively, meaning you're the one who's bearing witness or evidencing faith or the work of the baptism, but that's not what it says, right? It's the working of the Holy Spirit. Um, so then, and then listing what's called the fruits of the spirit, according to Paul: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, fruit. I mean, Jesus even has uh, like the parable of the fig tree. Trees don't like choose to bear fruit. Just as I said today, you don't choose to breathe. I mean, you can. I was controlling my breathing because I had three cups of coffee before church. So I actually used that moment to catch a breath. And now I'm having some more. But um, the. um, But most of the time it just happens, right? Yeah. Unless you intentionally like slow your breathing. I do that when I get blood. Because I don't really want to do it. And, and then um, I can get my heart rate down to mid-40s. Pretty. That's how I actually fall asleep. Apparently the military, they teach you to do this. I don't know. They teach you how to, with mental exercise and whatever, to slow your heart rate. And then just your body will go into sleep. So they can sleep like even in the, in the midst of battle and that kind of thing. Anyway, I can do that. But that's not the same as saying, like, if I choose to never breathe again, it doesn't happen. You... you I mean, apart from like some kind of very intentional action. And uh, so with a tree, a tree bears fruit. If it's a tree, a fruit-bearing tree, then it bears fruit. Now, if it's not a fruit-bearing tree, or the way the Bible talks about you, if you're not grafted onto the tree, you're a branch, he's the the tree, you're the branches, that kind of thing, Jesus. If you're not grafted onto that tree, then you don't bear fruit because you lack all of the, the roots and the trunk. And really, you lack the, this is the key here, you lack the identity of being... A fruit tree, because you're just a branch. Until you're grafted on, you don't actually, you don't actually become a fruit, part of the fruit-bearing tree. Uh, so this is baptism. Baptism one is your identity. This is really important. That God calls you, wait, how did it say it? He calls you to be his own possession. So he gives you his name. He calls you, when you say you're a Christian, it means you're a Christ, Jesus is, right? So um, today, I started to talk about this in the Sunday, the morning class, but um, people, there's this thing called uh, identity politics. So, like people groups fighting each other, it's it's kind of a form of tribalism. Um, but think about like uh, the one I, example I gave this morning. It's just the one that comes to mind is LBGTQ+. and um, I don't know if you have friends. I do, you know that that identify as one of those letters, or as the broad category of, of queer, I guess, right? And, but notice that word, identify. So that's what they call themselves, that's their, and then they, there's a lot of identity caught up in that. Um, like there's some cultural baggage, right? As far as um, how you act or behave, or the language you use, or flying your freak flag, or whatever it is. And it's all caught up in this identity that I am gay, or queer, or whatever, right? And then God comes along. I mean, maybe you say, I'm German, or I'm what?
1: Luxembourg.
0: You're Luxembourgian. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm Luxembourgian. (laughs) Um, That's right, they're over there. Except they live in Belgium, which doesn't make any sense to me. Why are Luxembourgians in Belgium? And then who live in... What's the other town south of that? That's from Luxembourg? The other... uh, Belgium? There's a... because the Luxembourg Museum is in Belgium, which is Dutch, but then there's a, there's a Luxembourg town that is where the Dutch people live. Oh. What's the town? You have to look on a map. There's a story where when they, they both registered at the same time with the state to be a city and their papers got swapped. Yeah. So they got the wrong name and they never changed it. Mm. So the one that... Belgium was supposed to be a different town. Yeah, anyway. That would have been more appropriately named after the people who settled there. <laughs> but names matter, right? And so God puts His name on you and He gives you an identity. So no matter what you want to call yourself, like I call myself pastor, well, He calls me pastor too. So I guess that's not a great example. Um, coffee roaster, right? I mean, I try, is that how I want to be known? Um, maybe, sometimes, right? Or as pastor or some. I want to bind my identity up in these vocations, these callings, uh, but that's dangerous. Because, like, what happens, as happened with me, what if the Lord says, mm, your ministry here in this place is done? And, you know, and now you need to wait until I have another place for you. If my identity is bound up in that thing and it's taken away from me, where does that put me? Right? Or, like, I mean, think, like, if somebody's a dairy farmer and they're, they're, they go bankrupt and they can't farm anymore. My, my grandfather was a hog farmer and they had bankruptcy and he ended up having to be Bob the insurance salesman instead of Bob the farmer. Right? But... I don't know. I haven't ever talked to him. I could have talked to him yesterday about it. He's 94, 96, something like that. So, don't have a lot of opportunity to ask. But I wonder if he had that kind of like, you know, because he was known in the community as, you know, that's the Gillespie Farms out, you know, out there. Um, and then, but now, you know, for the last, since then, it's probably been less than my lifetime, so maybe 35 years or something, he's been, you know, the guy who sells insurance. Um, you know, but maybe not. And maybe he's just Bob Gillespie, a community icon or something, you know. But even then, that could be taken from you too if there's a scandal. like if you do something and there's a scandal. And so your identity gets caught up in that. And so, really, what, the reason why God then puts his name on you in baptism, in particular, um, is that no matter what happens to you in relation to your neighbors, in relation to your community, your world, um, even in your church, he calls you his child. And you're always his child even when you don't want to be his child. Or even when you choose to live in contrary to that identity as a child. Or to not bear fruit according to the faith that he's given. or However that works out. Now, that's the story of the prodigal son. It's, it's really, I think this, there's so many good things in that parable. but That's why I think it's loved. But um, the big one is that the father doesn't let the son say make me a hired servant. But the father immediately clothes him, gives him the ring and the shoes, and slaughters the calf and says, my son who is lost is found. And as a matter of fact, he's watching for his son because he runs out to meet him before anybody else sees him. So the father's never ceased watching for his son even while his son has forsaken him and gone off to be not his son. Squander his inheritance, which he demanded from the father, which is another way of saying drop dad. It's a really powerful text. Because... That identity held fast of being the child of the father, despite all the things the son did, or all the other things, ways that he might have considered himself. Right? Because that's, that's his thing. Make me your hired servant. He thinks, I'm not worthy to even be called his son, but maybe he'll call me his servant. Right? So he's got, he has an identity crisis, is what's going on there, um, because of how he's recklessly squandered everything that was his by, by right. Uh, which is a wonderful message for the church, I think, because um, I've, I've preached this many times where someone, you know, later in life or after something is restored to the to the church that have been outside the fellowship, haven't been hearing God's word, haven't been receiving communion, and now they're back. That is actually your story, right, in heart. Uh, for whatever reason, and God works in mysterious and multiple ways, and, you know, maybe it's here he's using, you know, this desire, this. Uh, I think, godly desire uh, to teach, right, which is a gift to you, right, that he's given you skills, ability, or even just the desire to do that. That's a gift from him, Um, then uses that to bring you back into more active life in the church. So that holds fast no matter what else, and uh, that's, you know, like this morning. Well, I haven't been here in a long time, you know, somebody on the way out of church. Um, I'm glad to be back. I've always considered this my church, and I my response is welcome home, just like the father. I mean, glad to, glad you're home, I, and it's like it feels like home. Yeah, well, of course it does, because <laughs> it is. I mean, you've considered it your home, and it's still your home even when you're not not been here. Um, which is all good. That's all, and so that's all in baptism. You can pull a lot out of that little collect. Kind of mm-hmm. uh, stories of baptism. Well, here's one thing that's really kind of profound: is that, um, if, at least from the church's perspective, every time God's Spirit comes with water. Um, that's a sign or foreshadowing, or it is baptism. So you see this in the Old Testament. You have the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep at creation. Okay, well, It's, it's, it's not over the deep as in, like, it's over the deep waters, is what it's talking about, the hovering over the face of the deep waters. And so Spirit and water at creation making, bringing life to being, into being when God speaks, which is powerful stuff. Um, we have the flood, which um, God speaks Judgment against the world, but he also, you have the sign of the Spirit is at the flood, isn't it? The dove? Yeah, yeah the dove shows up again at Jesus' baptism, which is meant then to say, Hmm, dove, where have I seen a dove? We've been water and dove before. Oh, yes, the flood, yeah, and the promise to Noah, which was that God would never destroy the world again by a flood, right? And so he actually uses the, the flood, if you like, of baptism, what, to overcome. Sin, death, and devil, right? Which are real enemies, not our neighbors, not this world, but, but actually um, those enemies. Those are the mortal enemies. So, and then they give you Second Kings five. I would do more with that uh, if we had a little bit more time, but I cover that in full with the confirmands. But the washing of Naaman in the Jordan River. Naaman's a foreign leader. He's got a uh, Jewish servant girl. He's got leprosy. Um, and unlike the Jewish nation, where lepers aren't allowed to integrate, um, Naaman is in Syria, and Syria, the Syrians don't seem, they don't have that rule. Um, and uh, Jesus—I mean, God gave that rule, right? That the lepers be kept separate, um, in part because of communicable disease, um, I think. So it's a practical thing, but also then it ends up being a wonderful teacher moment: how God restores even those who are unclean into fellowship. We see this where Jesus heals the ten lepers, or, or he goes into their colony. Um, it's in Ben Hur too. Have you seen Ben Hur? Not recently, but I have. Yeah, I? I think he's got. Is a family member? Is it his wife or somebody's in this leper colony, and he makes himself unclean by going into that colony. Ben Hur does. So anyway, you can watch the movie. You see a picture of that. It's an old movie. Charlton Heston. I know, but it, there's some there's some good moments in there. Um, and so the big deal there was that the servant girl said, go see the prophet. Naaman goes and sees the king, not the prophet. The king is, like, terrified because the Syrians are a pretty powerful enemy and actually would destroy him. Um, but he sends him to the, to, to the prophet Elijah anyway and says, you know. And the prophet says, just go wash in the Jordan um, seven times and you'll be healed. That's it. And, but Naaman, this, this leprous... Um, Commander or, or whatever military officer he is um, says no, no because we have cleaner waters actually back in Syria. The <laughs> Jordan is, is it's miserable. It's dark. it's it's a gross river, um, and uh, that was true then. It's apparently it's still true today, from what I understand. It's worse. Is it worse? Probably, yeah, with uh, pollution and whatnot. But. Um, But then the the girl, I think it is again, says, or actually it's his servants just say, you know, did the prophet say to do that? Yeah, we should just listen to the prophet. I mean, what do you got to lose? He dips himself and he comes out clean, right? And then he confesses um, the God of Israel, which is really beautiful. So it's again, you want to connect that to the sermon today? You know, just do what the Lord tells you to do. Don't worry about it. You know, if he sends a prophet to say, go wash in the river, go wash in the river. Do whatever he tells you, it's going to go fine. Uh, But we like to make things more complicated. And I think it's because we just want to wrestle control away from uh, God and his word the way he promises to work. So that's that's in the second paragraph that uh, baptism isn't the church's creation, but rather the church is created by baptism. So that's Matthew 28. Uh, That was my newsletter article this month, wasn't it? Uh, Notice that you're baptized in the name. So again, there's your identity is the name. You bear God's name upon you, which makes you his Possession or his child, um, and but also is as it says here, signifying who does the baptizing. So, despite the fact that you have a pastor, an emergency, somebody else saying the words and washing the water, it's the Lord's doing, just as much as when we talk about, "Take heed, this is my body, this is my blood." Or, I forgive you all your sins. That the absolution, which we'll talk about next time, um, that one has a clear ding, ding, ding to tell you, oh. The pastor is not the one forgiving. He's forgiving, but he's an instrument or he's an agent, right? Because I say in the stead and by the command. So I'm standing in the place and I'm under God's orders. I'm under divine orders. I don't have the option to. I'm not given permission, um, except in the case of unrepentant sin, to just say, I don't forgive you. You say, I'm sorry, I say, I forgive you. And, and actually all Christians are given that. Um, but the church in particular, we'll talk about next time, uh, doesn't forgive the sins of the unrepentant, which is a hard thing to hear. But we'll talk about it. All right. Uh, let's see uh, the name. So we think of name. We think of Second Commandment: don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. We think of First Article of the Creed: I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. We think of First Petition in the Lord's Prayer: Hallowed be Thy name. Uh, name again. Name identity is essential in the ancient world, and I would argue it's still a big deal today. You know, I mean think about when you marry you take to, traditionally you take your husband's name and uh, to signify that you're now one one family um, mm-hmm. children bear the name of their parents when they don't it gets very confusing um, how do they not bear the name of their parents? if they were from a previous marriage mom marries now they have different name and then I get confused I'm like oh they're oh th- those kids belong to because they don't have the same last name yeah so uh, it tells you who, whose you are and who you belong, or who you belong to, um, which is very helpful reminder. And uh, unless, of course, your name is brought into great scandal, right, and you become, maybe your last name is Trump, you'd probably change your name right now. You know, Cause it's just, I, uh, not that Trump. I mean, you'd have to say that every conversation. <laughs> when well, no, we're not related, don't worry. That kind of thing. Yeah, so names do matter. And uh, God's name is put on you... Oh, it's also in the blessing. Um, the Aaronic benediction. That's right. Number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you, Lord. Look upon you with favor and give you his peace. These are all things he's promised to you because he's been joined to you. Does that make sense? Uh, whether it's in a picture of baptism or as we've been talking about, uh, the wedding at Cana is a picture of baptism. I know it's a wedding, but it's also a baptism because there's water, and spirit, and other things. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, the the metaphors get kind of mixed in the Bible. Jesus doesn't seem to mind mixing metaphors like I do. Um, most of the metaphors I don't use because I learned them from my father, who is a farmer, and they're a little um, salty. That's the right word, <laughs> like a sailor. Can I see to
1: clarify something? Yeah. Um, you've talked before about God is a tree, mm. and we you know, mm. we receive uh, t- yeah, his holiness and forgiveness have to be kind of grafted on. Yeah. But there was a one of the podcasts that you and Riley were talking through. Mm. It was about... That's a pastor me, friend, me, friend of mine. Yeah. Show, but, me the, show me the fruit, and I'll tell you the tree. Mm, yeah, show right. Show me the tree, I'll tell you what of fruit is. Can you... I think I'm, I'm having a hard time kind of just fully grasping that. Right. Right. You know,
0: yeah. Well, I would say it's probably more of a theological agenda for Pastor Riley than it is for me. Yeah, so he he pushes that pretty often. Um, I don't know if you catch that, but we moderate each other. So <laughs> he wants to go a little further, then I'll then I'll let him go sometimes. Yeah. Um, that's all right. I mean, I mean, that's what friends are for. It's like, hey, slow down, slow your roll, as they say, right? The uh, or that's what he says. I think that's a jujitsu thing. I don't know. He does martial arts. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't want to get into a mess with him. <laughs> Although he's a scrawny Irish guy, so I don't know. It'd be pretty vicious, but he's not like, yeah, not by mass, just by skill. Anyway, uh, show me the tree and I'll show you the fruit. Show me the fruit and I'll show you the tree. We're kind of dealing with there uh, is this dynamic between St. Paul and St. James because Saint James would say a tree, or um, faith without works is dead. Yeah, um, or a tree without good fruit is dead. Right, uh, and but Saint Paul says um, we are saved by faith, not by works. Yeah, see, and so you say, well, which is it? Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I think the caution there is that if we start pointing to fruits, we start pointing. We can only point to ourselves, right? But if we point to the tree. Um, we've talked about this in regards to Thanksgiving, right? So if somebody says "great sermon, Pastor," um, typically I don't say what I actually intend to say. I usually just say "thanks," I'm glad, or I'm glad it was a benefit to you, which is fine. That's what they want. Um, but actually, the right response would be "thanks be to God," you know, who works these things in me. Yeah. yeah. So that's the challenge with starting to be what we might call a fruit inspector. <laughs> You know, is that you, you start looking to all of your fruit and, which is really the Holy Spirit's fruit that he's worked in you and starting to take credit for it or to put trust in the fruit rather than in the faith in the Son of God does that make sense? That's the pro- so this is the problem with Lutherans because we, we talk so much about works being not the thing yeah. that some would say then well you never, you actually have excluded works from, from the Christian life entirely and we'd say no, not at all we're just making a careful distinction between two things, um, which are both part of baptism. Um, $10 church words, actually, probably more than that. Justification, and then it's, I guess, pair sanctification. Sancti, Oh, no. Short of the syllable. That's the problem with these $10 church words? Justification okay. of. Um, which go together, but this would be the tree, and then this is the fruit. I don't know what kind of fruit you want to do. It looks more like cauliflower. <laughs> cauliflower. <laughs> All right. Um, tomatoes are fruit, right? So I could have it's done tomatoes. Yeah, until yeah. you cut it, then it's a vegetable. I think that's the thing. Okay. What? I, so can you have without the the tree, namely the cross? Can you have fruit? No. All right. Um. So our Lutheran. Um, Confessions in particular are very careful to say we never talk about fruit or being made holy or bearing the image of Christ or any of that language apart from how he has made us holy in justification. So anytime we start talking about and let's bear fruit, let's love one another, we always have to go back and say because God in Christ has loved us, he will work these things in us. We don't do them, and we don't do them. Even this is where I think the language gets a little sloppy, in a not helpful way, which is to say we bear, we love one another, um, because we are mimicking or imitating Christ. You know, so we could say, "Love one another as God in Christ has loved you." That's what Paul says. As God in Christ has loved you, not because He has, in a sense of imitation. Because he has, in a sense, of, it's been done. Since the language is kind of tricky, isn't it? Yeah. It's it a little mushy sometimes. Mm-hmm. So the key is that we don't, you don't talk about you or any of the things that you have done, that have been done through you, apart from talking about how God and Christ has done them for you or through you. Um, just don't take credit. I guess that's the big thing, if you want to put it down. And that's why you say, when people start saying, look at my fruit, look at how I've you know, I've served this church I've put my offerings in a plate. I've done all these kind of things I've loved my wife I've taken care of my kids I've made a name for myself whatever it is um, you say well that's all great uh, especially in that you know others have benefited from you uh, but tell me what has Jesus done for you mm-hmm. yeah
1: and shouldn't it take me just stop there like for example somebody compliments you and you say to God be all the glory and it brings up because like um, you know Nick Foles after the Super Bowl, mm, he, yeah. he gave he gave glory to God, but then was we we I you know yeah. and he went in. It's, yes. a, it's normal, right? I mean, we all do that. But I just yeah, no money that we can say to God, give the glory we should stop there. That, that that's you know stop <laughs>
0: right. Anything else you say is just now
1: putting it back. Well,
0: he does TV. that because he doesn't know how the interview is going to go. True. I mean, maybe I'm just trying to give him yeah. the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And other actors or actors. Oh. Athletes, you know, yeah. they point this guy or whatever. Yeah. Um, they, I know, I don't know what's up there, but they always point up because <laughs> God is in and all and through all. So like, like whatever. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, it's true. The, they talk about the heavens and clouds and things, and it's a Jesus ascended, but I don't. into the cloud and the way that Elijah went up in the whirlwind. But um, mm, what was I saying? Oh, I think they front load it that way, um, just to make sure they get that in, right, like. I want to thank mom, you know, like at the award show. <laughs> you just get it in right away before you start rambling and they cut you off and then it's over. Um, but on the flip side, the better way to do that then would be, okay, I worked hard. We trained. We, we practiced. Um, we went through a lot of struggles this year. But through it all, uh, it was God blessing us. Mm-hmm. Right? So that, yeah, then you can end that way. And that put, then it puts all of what you might ascribe as your own work in the context of it being God's work through you. Right and or, and actually thanking him then for it, right? So I think that's the challenge. That's that venue. It's really hard to give it proper things. Yeah. Be just like, "Thanks be to God," and shut up. That would be <laughs> that'd be pretty. I mean, it'd probably make the news. It'd be it like, was, it was, "You see what he did?" That's what
1: you're get. that would actually draw some controversy, but also some attention.
0: I mean, think about it, if you got into a little thing with the you know the lady on the sideline, and she's like, "Well, you know," um, but but what about you know all your hard work and training? It's like, "Nah, it was God's work." Yeah. He's like, well, then where what, you've been blessed with great skill, or you, you know, I can't even use that language without kind of betraying it, you know? Don't you, don't have you developed great skills? He's like, no, I was given them by God, you know. It would be pretty neat to kind of just yeah. stick it to him. No, that's good. That's good, Mike. Yeah. So this is the whole thing with fruits and trees and sanctification and uh, Christian living. And so, because the problem is, this happens in sermon pre- in sermons. Um, it's kind of our default position that we'll talk about Je- we'll talk about us, sinful nature, et cetera. You know, our need. We'll talk about what Jesus has done for that, and we'll talk about what we're going to do in response to it, right? So let's go, you know, love our neighbor and take care of the church and be better citizens and love our our families and all this kind of stuff. And it has a way of undermining everything that came before it because you now you're back thinking about yourself and what I'm going to do. Um, Rather, I love the passivity of the of the scriptures, which just says. Uh, this is the way I said it this morning, um, in class. You know, I mean, if I end up being a, a well a remembered well as a pastor, um, it's actually despite who I am, my personality, my my humor, which is sometimes a little dry and deadpan and dark, and um, despite my, oh, I don't know whatever you know, struggles with sin myself and all all the things that get in the way of, of being a good pastor. If it it, it so far, I'm am just daily surprised that I'm still, you know, been given to do it and are at it, you know. Um it's really a miracle. And I think that's the I mean that's the case. I mean you have heard this in extraordinary cases like with parents, you know, who can't bear children and they're given a the gift of a child. We see that in the Bible, but we see it in real life too. Um You know, and and the way that they just cherish that as as a gift, and so that's the language of baptism, is that it's a gift, and I I, I look at the way that even, this is not necessarily in the book, but look at the way that that um, the people try to wrestle control away of baptism too, and to say that they that you know that was my christening, you know, or that's not true. Um, you know, I got the kid to, to baptism. I, there's language like that, um, but also then on the flip side, the way that we kind of just forget about baptism, we don't talk about it. So you saw uh, on confirmation Sunday, were you here on that day? I wasn't. I had no, the oh, that's right. Um, you know, it's just a little thing, and it's not a big deal. But it's something that if that if that is an important day where you remember your baptism, that's what it's that's what it is. You're being confirmed in the faith of your baptism. What Basically, the pastor's saying what God said He did for you in baptism. It's true. It actually, because you're, you're, you're here and He gave you faith and you're confessing it. And da da da. Um, thanks be to God. Right? Um, I use a big certificate and I give it to him in a frame because I know myself I wouldn't hang it. I just put it in a box. If I put it in an envelope, right? So it's in a it's in a frame. It's ready to hang, and and it's color and it's got for it looks special. And it's got signatures and things on. It, right? And you hang it up and now. And same with baptism, by the way. So that way, um, you remember it as God's work. And if you look at those certificates, the ones that I use, they have, uh, like the Was- Naaman in the in the Jordan, is one of the pictures on the baptism mm-hmm. one, right? Um, even Christ in the Jordan River, and so that you know, from from young age, you can remember your baptism. Do things like uh, like baptism birthday, you know, celebrate that. Um, I don't have a song for you but there's probably one and my aunt does, she always posts it on Facebook for her kids so. <laughs> I can't remember something that she taught her preschoolers when she taught preschool yeah, little thing to sing on your baptism um, but, but actually the, the prayers of the, of the catechism the daily you know, prayer morning and evening prayer says to begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit make the sign of the cross to remember your baptism Right? The name given to you at your baptism. And then confess your sins, which is something you can only do because you're baptized, to acknowledge your sin because you have the Holy Spirit uh, who has examined your heart, or, or pleading for forgiveness, or even praying. That's the other thing. Lord, Lord, teach us how to pray. Our Father. Well, you can't call Him your Father unless you are His child. Right? Yeah, and this is, um, I hear this sometimes. People will say, well, everybody is God's child. Uh, we're all God's children. Actually, the, the exp- it's a strange distortion of an older expression of you know Mother Nature's child. We're all children of Mother Nature. And we just say, oh, that's God. They, no, that's not true, actually. We're all God's creatures. Right? Been made by Him. Sustained. Taken care of. Um, but we're only children by way of baptism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So this is why baptism is not something that we usually restrict... Um, not severely, anyway. Now, with adults, there might be a little bit of instruction before they're baptized just to let them know what baptism is, what they're getting themselves into, more than anything. You know, like here's what God's going to do to you, um, and this is what this is the fruit that He's going to bear in you as a result. You know. I
1: have a question. About how to, and, um, I'm not challenging this as much as I'm trying to hmm? understand. It's way, but, well, it's not. Yeah, I'm not challenging it to be like. Challenge, but so, um, you know, how there's different passages that says God knew you before you were born, yeah, that you get in your mother's womb, right? So, would that indicate that we're God's children mm. because that happens before, quote unquote, you're physically baptized?
0: Mm. No, um, it's a good question, though, uh, in this regard, in that his knowledge of you before that, the, the context. Uh, especially in the way the New Testament teaches it, is that He knows you to save you. All right. So His His pre His foreknowledge of your identity, who you are, is connected to the fact that Jesus died for you from before you were born. All right. Not just historically, you know, time tick tock, but actually, Jesus as uh, I think it's Philippians that Christ was crucified from before the foundation of the world. So. Try to get your head around this idea That before God made Adam and Eve His son Jesus had died for them Not yet, but already Okay, so you can't think of The problem is you're thinking of time probably Right, but from God's perspective Alpha and Omega, beginning and end You might think of more of like a loop Or um, it's just completely upside down that the past is the future in Hebrew minds. It, they're more like Einstein than they are like Newton. Mm-hmm. Einstein was like, well it's all relative, right? It depends on perspective. And you, if, as soon as you approach the speed of light, then everything changes and you're all places and all times all everywhere at once. Actually that was that's that was Einstein. Um, and you know he was religious, but that's not the point. Um, actually says Jesus says I am the offni, the beginning, and end. I am the way, the truth, the Light, right? So Jesus travels at light speed. He's at all places, all times. He fills all things, and you know, his death for for sinners was the point of the story from the very beginning. It wasn't a do over. I guess that's a good way to put it. Oh, Adam and Eve sinned. Now we have to sin. Now I have to send my son to die for them. Hmm. You no, know, did you know that he know they would sin? Absolutely. Was that the plan from the beginning that they sinned? Not necessarily. Did he you know they would sin? Yeah. So the plan from the beginning is that he would. Join himself to them. Yeah, and die for them. You get that? So his foreknowledge of you is the same way. Is that he creates you to redeem you. He gives you life, even though it's life that will die, to give you life that won't die, eternal life.
1: So then your other point... Okay, um, Mm I'm grasping that, but then the other point was you're not considered God's child until you're baptized. In time, yes. Even though... (laughs)
0: he knows if you will convert when you will convert and created you he created you to convert you right yes to faith
1: but that doesn't mean that everyone
0: will be yes so now you're now you're bumping up into what we doctrinally call um the doctrine of election or what's the other name for it um no, I think that's the, that's probably... I was thinking... Somebody has another name for it. I can't think of it. But that's the most common one. That God chooses you. He elects you. All right? Now, here's the problem with election. Some folks, like the folks by where you live, uh, reformed folks, they use election... They don't do this intentionally. Um, and actually, some of them try to correct it. But uh, but it's often used... Well, it's often neglected because it's too easily understood as God chooses some and he doesn't save others. He chooses some and he... And he and they, at the Synod of Dort, the Dutch ones especially, have, um, have said uh, with, the council, with the Synod of Dort, one of the decrees was for them, Reformed, um, what's called double predestination. Oh, predestination. That's the other word for election. So God has double predestination. He destines some for salvation and some for damnation. Now, there's a, there's a philosophical problem with that because that means God created some people to damn them to hell, yeah. which is a problem. That's not really what Dort meant. <laughs> that's the way that some people accuse them of meaning it. Just like some people accuse us of being cannibals for eating the body and blood of Christ. All right, It's like, oh, that's fine. Though they also accuse us of incest because, because we call each other brother and sister. And we're all married together in Christ. Yeah. It's like, all right, I understand. Yes, we do that language, but... Um, we don't mean it the way you think you mean it alright anyway this is a, that's an old accusation from 2nd century on 1st um, century even so what are we talking about double predestination damn some to hell um, Lutherans are very careful to say we don't know who God elects to sal- who, who will be elect to salvation we do know God so love the John three sixteen for God shall so love the world that is all people that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He died for the sins of the whole world. Um, You can't take God's election and then say that limits um, who Jesus died for. And that's the reason they did double predestination, by the way, is because they were scandalized by the idea that Jesus died for people who would reject him. Now, that happens in the Bible. Jesus died for Judas. Jesus died for Cain. Jesus died for... for, um, You know, Saul, and he died. Well, Saul is actually a great example. Saul, New Testament Saul, is a great example. He's a persecutor of the church. And Jesus died for him, and actually saves him. Mm -hmm. Um, Did he die for all the wicked kings? Yeah, he did. And is that a great scandal? I think so, that he would die for people who hate him. Um, But I think if we don't actually go that far, then what does that say about us? Mm -hmm. For when we... Don't believe him or secretly despise him or just disagree with what he says, that kind of thing. No. So they wanted to limit um, the atonement, the death of Jesus, to only those who would be saved. And so then necessarily they had to say he didn't die for those who who re- rejected him. Mm. And they're just trying to protect the integrity of Jesus, his like, holiness, his and I, I, I'd i rather just go right to the scandal and just say, and stumbling block of the whole thing, and say, he died for people who hate him. died for all people. Um, and, Why is that scandal? Uh, because they can't, because there's no cooperation in it. It's actually people come to faith despite who they are. I know it's, it's good news. It's, it's what I preach in the sermon today. But it's a scandal to those who want to have some part in it, who only... generally it's tribalism is the other thing going on people like you can't die for those people you know who hate him like my neighbor who's like a slob and a drunk and you know he died for him that's like that's creepy or that guy's baptized you baptized that guy and like you brought like corruption into the body or something like that and it's like no I brought him into the body to be forgiven there's forgiveness in the body so that's I think it's just a lot there's some misunderstanding there um, that's part of it why did I bring all that up oh election so Lutheran said particularly predestination or election is the doctrine in the formula of concord you can read this um, that it's given for comfort so that those um, those who are in the faith are like oh God this is God's doing and this is his choosing he chose me you know and, and baptism draw it right to baptism and say and how do I know that because he baptized me he's given me faith I'm my faith is weak, yes, um, but He is strong, right? Um, and so it's meant to be a comforting thing to say, to drive people to the knowledge of their salvation. Right? And then also the other thing you say it's a scandal because it, I think it's not so much a scandal because it actually enables then all the missionary efforts of the church. <laughs> if God died for everybody, then there's no one excluded as far as who we would preach to and who we would show mercy in and then bring into the fellowship of the congregation, right? There's no one who forgiveness isn't for. I mean, you have people like Jeffrey Dahmer confessing before he was murdered in prison, confessing the faith, which isn't a big public story. You know, they didn't make a deal out of it because it actually is scandalous that somebody like him can be forgiven even though he was killed by his fellow inmates, you know, uh, after having done really horrible crimes, right, against humanity. Um, could he be forgiven? Yeah. Same thing. Trial at Nuremberg. Nazi war criminals mm-hmm. who, conf- who had been Christians, who got caught up in Nazi propaganda, became kind of Nazi as a religious fervor. Mm-hmm. Nazism. And not just political, but religious. Uh, but then repented and were absolved even though they were hung <laughs> because of you know, what they did. They will see the resurrection. And that, that is scandalous, I think, for folks. So it's not it's not just that he forgives me, but it's that he forgives that guy. Yeah. Which is a little which is definitely offensive for the religious. In the place judge. You're not to judge. That's true. No, that's true. Yeah, when he says judge not, yes, you be judged, that's exactly what he's talking about. Um, leave the judgment to God. And the judgment from God is I forgive you. Yeah. yeah. God's justice is the forgiveness of sins. It's that he doesn't repay us according to our wickedness. <laughs> Which is upside down because we... Well, it's not upside We We think that's great because we're forgiven, but we want him to hold everybody else accountable. Mm-hmm. You're like, mm, That's a little bit of a double standard, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he forgives them too, so maybe you should. And should, by the way, is... Yeah, and then we say should, and it ends up being law because you should... Don't you know you should listen to your parents? <laughs> yeah, like that's a the law then, right? We yeah, have to go right back justification to justification and say, mm-hmm. I forgive you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you can see how that plays out. Uh, let's see, infant baptism. There are those who reject it. It wasn't a problem until the Reformation, actually. Um, there were little pockets here and there, but for the most part, it wasn't until the so-called Anabaptists, those who preached against baptism. Anna is against baptism. There were Anabaptists at the time of Luther who rejected infant baptism. Because they said that baptism, they, well, basically it's cooperative. You have to assent to baptism. You have to agree for what, uh, with what it is. Um, incidentally, or, yeah, no, it is incidental. Baptism actually doesn't have any of that um, kind of instruction attached to it in the Bible. That says you have to agree what baptism is before you can be baptized. There are places where that happened. Um, with adults in particular. Because they had to renounce um, they were being called to renounce their old way of life, like if they, I don't know, if they were a prostitute or if they were a thief or whatever. You know, the church was very careful to say, we'd love to have you in the fellowship, um, renounce your old way, give it up. And then there would be a sponsor and they'd watch you just like AA or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. And they'd watch you and then you'd be baptized and then they keep watching you and they'd come over to your house every day. And maybe they'd give you employment that was other employment, you know, and try to take care of you um, because it would bring scandal upon the church if you went back to your old way of life but also more importantly bring scandal against the faith mm-hmm. you know which would be called out of that way of life so there would be instruction for adults uh, but with children no no just baptizing it's God's work he does it yeah that's
1: yeah. like planting a seed I mean, yeah very much the so the is planted you don't know how long it's to take to grow right or, or sure but the is planted yeah and God
0: gives the growth yeah we actually confess with the seed as we do with baptism Um, So there are those who reject it, and again, I think it's caught up in a couple of things. One, they want to participate in it, and that's because they have a very high view of themselves. And we call that a high anthropology, meaning study of words about man, right? They have a high view of themselves. Like, I can cooperate, I can work out my salvation, I can contribute to this, I can assent to baptism. And the Bible is very clear as to say no one believes apart from the Holy Spirit. They don't believe in any of it. They don't believe in baptism. They don't believe in the Lord's Supper. They don't believe in preaching. They don't think they need salvation. Even. You know, people even hap- you, you probably know folks who aren't Christians who are just happily content not being Christians. You're like, how can you be so naive? It's because they don't even recognize their sin. Like, Well, they know it a little bit. They know things aren't quite right. And things are broken or a little messed up. But that's, that's not the same as saying, mm, I'm actually corrupt to the core. And the fact that anything good comes from me is actually work of God, and even among pagans. So, so that's another kind of hard teaching: is that God does work um, good for you through people who don't believe in Him, right? Like farmers and whatever. I don't know. A lot of farmers are believers, but you know, whatever it is, you know, the policeman or he still takes care of you, and he does it through instruments who don't even acknowledge him, right? Mm. But faith then acknowledges what God has already given. Uh, so here's the big deal they, they have such a high view of themselves because they don't believe in what's called the original sin. That's that corruption that we've inherited. It's, a, its origin is Adam. I know we talked about this, right? Maybe we didn't. Okay. Original sin, technical. Oh, yeah.
1: I know about
0: original sin. Yeah. It's, its origin is Adam. And it's a corruption that's passed down from father to children. And um, at least theologically. I don't know if practically it's true. We'll find out when they create these children from two mothers and genetic manipulation. See what happens with that. It's going to be crazy. But, but anyway. Um, and then they also have a problem, not only with the doctrine of sin, but also with faith. Because they think of faith as a work. Like, I believe. now. when we say, I believe, what are we saying? <laughs> I've put a lot more words to it, but...
1: I would...
0: How would you define... See, that's still, that's active, isn't it? Yeah. See, this is the problem with belief, because we've turned that word into a very active word. When you say, I believe, um, well, remember third article of the Creed from Luther's small catechism? I believe that I cannot believe by my own reason or strength in Jesus Christ my Lord, or come to him. Which is ironic. I believe that I cannot believe. That also is a statement of faith, isn't it? I believe that I can't have faith by my own reason or strength. Right? So when you say, I believe, you're saying, you're actually, it's the voice of the Spirit speaking through you. You're acknowledging the gifts that God has given you by His Spirit. Even the trust in Him. Or even knowing, even knowing who He is, God the Father or Maker. It's like, well, how would you know, even know anything about that? Unless He had told you. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and especially to, as you say, accept or acknowledge that. Um, it's true, you do. You accept. You acknowledge that. But even that acceptance or acknowledgement, which we call faith, is a gift. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, it maybe bothers some people, because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to have it all together, I guess. <laughs> but, but I'm more than happy to tell people, there's days I get up and I'm, you know, even at the altar and I'm not sure the whole thing's a big sham. They're like, what? I thought you were like confident. Well, I feign it. That's why Jesus gave me orders to say do this and say it this way so that even when my doubt could get in the way I just, yeah, maybe I airmail it in but it's God's I just, thankfully he's given me instructions and he said here's, when you airmail it in do it this way, <laughs> say these words um, you know, preach this way say the, you know, and uh, so that even that the pastor has doubt and unbelief mixed together mm-hmm. and mixed with faith and trust so you yep.
1: Not to belabor this point in over hey. time, but that was the one reason when, when I fully decided to convert mm. from Roman Catholic uh, to to Luther uh, was because of that. Because and it, it wasn't that I was mad or anything, but I did notice that the you know, priest side of the equation they always came across and presented this air that, that you know they were better than other people, not like in mm. face, but just that they, they were above the common ordinary sin. Well, they believed that. That's what I'm saying. And, and, and I sensed that. I had some really nice priests that were very easygoing guys, very nice people, but that was still kind of the, the hierarchy. I, mean, I didn't feel right about that because I know plenty of priests that sinned, just, well, Yeah. Sinned with the whole scandal through the. You know, well,
0: that's obvious, yeah, too. Things like that. So that they
1: weren't above above anyone else, even though they thought they were. And then well, digging in scriptures, I realized that there was a, a major, you know, a major clock, issue. There. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, so this is actually connected to baptism, too. Um, because baptism is joining you to the death of Jesus. You're washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so the gift of baptism is, again, childhood, you know, being God's child, forgiven, um, new identity as God's child, uh, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we haven't talked about that yet, so we should do that very quick. The gift of the Holy Spirit is a gift given um, that we would trust in God for all things, you know, for faith and life. And the problem is, that that's, that's all that baptism gives now the problem is the Roman Church um, rightly recognizes that pastors or priests are held to a higher standard by the world. Really, you know. So if there's if there's scandal upon the pastor, it brings great scandal upon the church. Yeah. So pastors are held to a higher standard. Paul's has admonitions to Titus and Timothy. You can read the letters. Like you guys got to keep your you got to keep your act together outwardly, publicly, even if inwardly you're just as corrupt as everybody else. Um, you got to you got to keep it together because of the, really the, the way that hypocrisy can damage the witness of the church um, and so then Rome said that, that, that the gift to be able to do that is not your working out faith of baptism but actually is the, is the gift of ordination where you receive a special indelible gift of the Holy Spirit that allows you to live a celibate lifestyle um, um, you know to live you know, with temperate and self-controlled and sober-minded, the things we heard today. That those are a special gift of the Holy Spirit given to you when you're ordained as a pastor. And
1: that's man.
0: Uh-huh, it's created.
1: not in the Bible. Huh? So,
0: yes, yeah, because on the one hand, pastors are held to a higher standard. But, again, it's the same spirit that you have in your baptism. And you're held to the same standard anyway. It, it's just because you don't hold public office in the church. Um, Frankly, you can just get away with a lot more. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You can get away with it without it bringing. But I mean, like, um, you can take off if you need to. Uh, the, the the connection um, to oh, We didn't talk about it in church, but Jim Sugar, I sent the yeah, email. Yeah. and yeah. uh, sixty-nine year old man, fifty-year-old woman, and the ten-year-old yeah. grandson that were dead. I don't know if they've released any info yet. You know,
1: they were all last week Monday. Yes. Yeah. Monday. They found them. Found dead in their home. Shots.
0: I, I don't know if it did say shop. I thought it did. I, I see. They haven't released the information. No. Turns out he was an elder here. He was the head elder here, actually. Yeah. Not I don't know if that you're doomed to failure, I guess. <laughs> but he was head elder <laughs> he here. Yeah, and he left about nine years ago. Um He did, uh, he and his wife divorced, she wanted to stay here, he left. I think she ended up leaving here too later on. And um you know, and you say, Well, how can that happen? And uh, do you not believe that you still have the sinful flesh clinging to you? Do you not believe that the devil's out tormenting you night and day? That the world tempts you to great shame and vice? Um, you know, the, the th- fact is that the Christian isn't taken out of those things. We're actually driven into them. Like Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after his baptism. That we're driven into them, but we're not left without um, God. Actually, he goes with us by his spirit. And uh, thus we pray we not enter into temptation you know, Lord's Prayer, even though we're going to be tempted daily. And, and why does God do that? He calls it like a refining fire, you know. Trial and temptation actually bring about a strengthening of faith, not, not a weakening. We think it makes us weak, but, um, you know, uh, but it actually makes us strong. So the alcoholic, for example, goes to the Lord's table to receive the Lord's Supper and re- receives wine, alcoholic wine. And you're like, are you tempting fate? Um, I would ask the question, are you tempting... Why, why, why would you tempt God? He's going to drive you into alcoholism? What are you saying? He tempts no one. Right? He said, do it this way, we do it this way. Um, I might dilute it with water, <laughs> but yeah, you know, just for the sake of conscience. But Does that mean, is it, This is the thing with like holy living is that it can get really much just be talking a lot about us and not a lot about what God has done for us, which is really what the whole thing is. Yeah. And then with those priests... Um, you know, I mean, they have to disregard scripture that says it's not good for man who lusts um, to, to remain celibate. They should marry. Mm-hmm. So they have a wife. And they have a, a proper receptacle for these things. <laughs> you know, a vessel who's there to receive, receive those desires in a godly way. Yeah. So have a good week.